Let's read the word of the Lord together from Psalm 78 today, uh, reading from the New International Version. Let's go. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Amen. Well, let's get into the word today. Our God is a generational God. Our God is a generational God. From the very beginning, we see that God is interested in generations. That his word, his promises, his deeds, his instructions, that all of it would last from generation to generation. That's been the plan and the desire of God from the beginning. God wasn't just content in being the God of Abraham. He would be the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. He wasn't just invested in using Moses. Joshua comes alongside and would carry the promise for the next generation. He works mightily through David. But even before his reign is over, God begins to tell him of his plans for Solomon to come and build the temple for him. Over and over and over in scripture, we find that in every generation, God has a man to carry on the work of extending his kingdom in the earth. That's the nature of God. And this is where we come into the picture. When he calls us to himself, we are to be partners with him in perpetuating the generational nature of his relationship with us. He's calling us alongside. See, the church was never meant to be a thing of one age. If it was, we wouldn't be here today. How this worked is the people who received the message originally realized, oh, this is to be for every generation. And so they passed it down. And then the next generation passed it down. And then the next generation passed it down. And then we had the gospel. So he puts this dream into our hands and that now the relationship we have with him, we are to make sure continues into the next generation. We each bear church individually and collectively the burden of responsibility for our generation and for the generation that's coming after us. We can't afford to drop the ball. We can't afford to be the ones who are found sleeping. Or we fail to leave out and pass on what we should. We cannot be the generation that lets it go. And so today, I want to share with us briefly on breakthrough for the next generation. Breakthrough for the next generation. And let's start by going back to our scripture. Why was God so interested in his decrees, in his statutes being taught to every successive generation? The psalmist answers this question in verse 7. He says, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds. In the New Living, it says, so each generation should set its hope anew in God, not forgetting his glorious miracles. And in the Hallmans, he says, so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works. Now, I know that every generation thinks that their time is the worst for various reasons because the human nature trends downward. All right? Uh, Pastor Don, I think, said this some months ago. He was preaching and he said, uh, left, to, left to ourselves, human nature trends 
downwards. And so every generation gets successively worse. But I think you'll agree with me that we live in unprecedented times. This generation is experiencing a crisis of confidence. We're experiencing a crisis of confidence in God. Confidence in godliness. This generation is experiencing a deficit of trust. We don't trust God no more. We're experiencing a scarcity of hope. Things have become so difficult. So many plagues are facing us. And the generation after us, the overbearing influence of media and all the evil it brings along with it. And not just evil, but doubts and ideas and pressures, which have also led to an incredible onslaught on people's mental well-being. I mean, more than ever before, anxiety and depression, darkness seems to lag at every corner and at, at the slightest push. It doesn't take much to send us over the edge as a generation. This generation is facing broken down relationships. You would think with all the social media we have, that we'd have the best relationships that have ever existed. And yet it's harder. It's the hardest time to build and maintain community. Now add to all this, this desire that we have to have Christ on our own terms. We love a Jesus in our own image. A Jesus who saves without demanding a certain lifestyle. That's the Jesus we like. A Jesus we can worship on Sunday but stays out of our business during the week. That's the kind of Jesus that this generation upholds. So all this put together has given us a crisis of confidence, a deficit of trust, a scarcity of hope. And that's what this scripture is trying to cure. That so each generation would put their trust in God. So each generation should set its hope on God. That each generation might put their confidence in God. Yet saints, it's the year of breakthrough. And our God is a God of generations who is committed to breaking through for every generation that turns to him. This is the reality that we see in scripture. Every time a people would turn to God, doesn't matter how far they went. In fact, these are like stories like, I mean, it reads like a, uh, that thing. Yeah, oh, they followed the Lord. Oh, they loved him. Oh, they forgot the Lord. Oh, they went away. Oh, somebody woke up and said, guys, you've forgotten the Lord. Let's look for him. Oh, they prayed. God said, okay, fine, you can come back. They come back for a while and then they walk away again. And then somebody comes, oh, we've forgotten you. God's arms are always open. Every generation that turns to him, he's ready to turn things around for. Not just for an individual, but for an entire community. And so we must see things that are so overwhelming. We must see this situation that feels so overwhelming in the proper position. And that is that the enemy is defeated and we win. Christianity, following Jesus, will not end with our generation. In fact, the prophecy is already said in 1 John chapter 2. When he's writing, he says, I write to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. Because you are strong, God's word lives in your hearts and you have overcome. I speak to you who are young in the faith. You have won your battle. You have won your battle with the evil one. You are strong. God's word lives in your heart. You have overcome. That's the promise of God for your life. 
that contrary to popular belief, the army of Christ will be alive and well, that there is a remnant that's desiring to see Christ's kingdom established in our neighborhoods, in our offices, in our homes. The victory is already assured that our generation and the ones that comes after us will overcome the enemy, that there will be a remnant in us. That promise is set. And so our part is to do our part in enforcing that breakthrough. So what do we need to do to see breakthrough that will set us all on the path to confidence, trust, and hope? And number one, uncompromising truth. Uncompromising truth. Church, we live in a time when people struggle to accept the existence of absolute truth. What is truth? Leave me with my truth. These are the buzzwords of our age. For us to see breakthrough, we must be uncompromising in declaring and upholding the truth of God's word. Now, obviously, that comes with a prize. <laughs> it's not free. Listen to Paul. He's talking to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 19. And he says, I have done the Lord's work with many tears. Somebody say many tears. Verse 20 says, I never shrank from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. Now, backstory, just a chapter earlier in chapter 19, we read of the riot in Ephesus. Uh, this riot was started by a guy called Demetrius, and it started because Paul was preaching to them that idols are not gods. And these guys had a big, booming business going on of making figurines of the god Diana, Artemis. Uh, and so they saw Paul as a threat to their business and to their livelihood. So they start up a riot in the city. It got so bad, Paul's companions are dragged into the amphitheater. Guys are almost killed. The mayor has to come rescue them and tell them, you know, let the, let the men go. And yet, a few verses later, Paul declares that he did not stop. <laughs> he did not shy away from declaring the truth. See, standing for the uncompromising truth, it comes with tears and it comes with trouble, but we cannot stop. We must be willing to do whatever is needed to declare the truth in this day and age. Because more and more, people do not want to hear the truth. People do not want to take God's truth as the truth for their lives. Second Timothy 4, we read, For a time is coming, and it has indeed come, when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. We are living in this age that the truth is what's sounding ridiculous. The lie has been dressed so well that when someone turns up with the truth, I mean, we are ready to run them out of town. We are so open, so willing to be persuaded, so willing to be led astray. Church, let's not be tempted to join the train. Let's not be tempted to adjust our message to fit the time. Because perhaps we're afraid if we don't, we will lose the next generation. It is not lies that will save the next generation. It's the truth that will save them. The antidote is to keep speaking the truth. Deuteronomy 6, as I finish this point, and just listen, it says in 6, verse 1, 2, 7, and 9, Now this, this is the command, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, so that you might do and follow them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, so that you and your son and your grandson, this generation and the next one and the one after, may fear and worship the Lord your God. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. 
impressing God's precepts on their minds and penetrating their hearts with his truths. You shall speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the road and when you lie down and when you get up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be used as bands on your foreheads. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Uncompromising truth in our homes with our children in our group chats, with our friends, in our family meetings, in every conversation, we shall speak the truth. The truth shall be on our foreheads, on our doorposts, on our gates, obvious to all, refusing the lies, bringing down every thought that raises itself up against Christ. Don't get tired of speaking the truth, even if you're by yourself, because in the end, it's the truth that will set us free. Not a watered-down, compromised version of truth. Not the truth that's been made so relevant that it's not true anymore. The truth of God's word that endures for all generations. Secondly, unashamed testifying. Uncompromising truth, unashamed testifying. I don't know if you realize this, but a lot of the Bible is stories of people testifying to what they saw, had, and experienced. In their walk with God. Most of scripture is people telling us what God did for them. How they met God. How they experienced God. Our telling of God's involvement in our lives is so critical. Because where there are no testimonies, people forget what God has done. Where we are not constantly testifying of God's presence in our affairs, people, even ourselves, will forget that he is the one who makes it all possible. Listen, when we are not constantly testifying of God's presence in our affairs, we will forget that he is the one who makes it all possible. And the result is that as life goes on and generations change, God becomes farther and farther removed from the reality of our daily lives. We see this in scripture. How after Joseph died, a generation rose up that didn't know anything about what God had done. We read in, in Judges chapter 2 that when Joshua died, Another generation came up that didn't know God or the works he had done, and so on and so forth. We must constantly and unashamedly testify of the goodness of God. If you want to see this message go through to the next generation, we must be testifying of what God is doing. Psalm 78.4 in the message says, we are not keeping this to ourselves. We are passing it along to the next generation. God's fame and fortune, the marvelous things he has done. We are not keeping this to ourselves. When was the last time you took time to just testify of God's fame and fortune? The marvelous things he has done for you. We used to sing, count your blessings, name them one by one. I would have sung, but we want you to come back next week. <laughs> have you paused recently to count and account and recount your blessings? What God has done for you? Church, what's not oft repeated is soon forgotten. That's why God was so big on memorials. In Exodus 13 and verse 14, they're doing all these sacrifices for the firstborn son and he's giving them instructions. And then he tells them, in future, when your son asks you, what does this mean? You are to tell him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
You are to recount to your children that we were stuck in Egypt. Pharaoh had refused to let us go. And then the Lord came through with his mighty arm and he let us go. In Joshua 4, verse 19 to 24, the people have just crossed the Jordan. And verse 20 says, it was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. Verse 21, then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, oh, this is where we crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord our God dried up the river right before us. He kept it dry until we were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea. I'll tell you that story later. And he dried it up until we had crossed over. He did so, so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful. And so you might love the Lord your God forever. We are to tell our children. We are here because God has made it possible. We are to constantly ascribe to God his miracles. Don't be all about yourself. Let the whole world know what he has done. I know a generation plays around so much with Nigod, Manzi. It's become a jest almost. It's like the phrase you say when you haven't put in the work or, or you're being fishy. Nigod, Manzi. But really, Nigod, Manzi. He's the reason we are alive. He's the reason we have everything we have. He's the reason we are not swept away. He's the reason when the enemy came against us, we stood. He's our provider. He's our healer. He's our strengthener. He's the miracle worker. It's all him. Let there be no doubt. Young people, talking about God is not lame. Acknowledging his hand in your life is not cringe. Let's learn for our sake and for the sake of those coming after us to testify of God's goodness. Parents, let your children hear you. Say how God has made a way for you. Teach them to acknowledge God when things happen in their favor. You don't pray for food because it's a ritual. You want them to understand that it is God who's made this possible. So we are giving him glory. Testify, testify, testify. God is doing great things every day. Testify. Thirdly, unquestionable example. Or oh, we are believing God for a breakthrough for the next generation. Unquestionable example. It's an open secret that so many people are discouraged from following the Lord because of the example they see of believers. How many people do you hear say, I don't go to church anymore because of those church people? If we are to see breakthrough in our generation and leave a path for the next generation to follow, we must be committed to an unimpeachable example in our Christian living. We live in an age where it's all about me and you do you. It's all the rage. We want no responsibility for the life that we live and the effect that it has on others. We want to be left to our devices. We want to do whatever we want, however we want it. And yet that couldn't be farther from what the Christian life demands. Jesus says in Matthew 5.16 that your light is to shine before men so that they may see your moral excellence and your praiseworthy, noble, and good deeds. What will happen when they see that? They will recognize, they will honor, they will praise, and they will glorify your Father in heaven. How we are conducting ourselves will have an impact on whether the next generation sees value in godliness. 1 Peter 2, in the message translation, verse 11 says, Friends, this world is not your home. Tell your neighbor, this world is not your home. 
your five-bedroom mansion is not your home. <laughs> this world is not your home. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life in your neighborhood where people know you and they see you every day. Not here in church when you're in your Sunday best and can lift your hands at just the right angle. Did you know there are ways to know how spiritual you are by how you lift your hands? In your neighborhood, so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side. Others is such a core tenet of Christ's instructions for our day-to-day -day Christian living. To sign up for this team is to take the part that says that you will consider, you will think about, you will often prefer the welfare of your fellow man above yourself. Parents, our children are watching us. They're watching us lift our hands during the Sunday and hearing how we speak during the week. And it's telling them something about God. Those older in the Lord, the younger are watching you. City lighters. Clubbers are watching you. They are watching how you dress. They are watching how you relate. They are watching how you speak. How you talk about God and the things of God. And it's telling them something about God. Clubbers, Ignites are watching you. You're so cool and they want to be like you. They are learning the rhythms of Christ following from you. What example are we showing? How are we living our Christian life? Is the way we are living our Christian life telling the next generation, oh bro, there's nothing better. There's nothing better. You want to be just like me. You want to be just like me. You want to just follow Christ because I've been following for Lord these 20 years and my goodness, I have never regretted. Is our life showing the example that will lift the next generation up. No matter what age we are in, we owe our generation and those coming after us the duty of a followable example. We owe it. We owe it. Your life is not your own. Your life is not just about you. You might not even realize it. Have you ever been in the supermarket and you're shopping and you're so upset at the life and the world? And then you see someone from church and they say hi. <laughs> and immediately you have to fix your face. <laughs> Because you don't want to explain <laughs> why you're dour and sour. People are watching you wherever you are. We owe the duty of a followable example. And finally, number four, unrelenting prayer. Of all these things, this is probably the most important. There is a war afoot, church. There's a war on our generation. There's a war on our children. There's a war on godliness. There's a war on morality. There's a war on Christendom itself. It manifests in the physical, but make no mistake, it is a spiritual war. And for us to win it, we must enlist divine help. There is no breakthrough that will come without prayer. The generational vision of God must be carried and it must be carried out in prayer. Pastor Fighter encouraged us a couple of weeks ago about standing in the gap. We must cry out for the souls of our children. We must cry out for our friends, for our neighbors, for our family. Ephesians 6.18 in the Amplified says, Pray at all times, on every occasion, in every season, in the spirit, with all manner of prayer and entreaty. To that end, keep alert 
and watch with strong purpose and perseverance, interceding on behalf of all the saints. I was telling our third Thursday crowd on Thursday that prayer is a superpower. It's a superpower we have. When we pray, we see things like God sees them. When we pray, we see what we are really fighting. Because you're busy praying, God, why is my child so rude? But you're not, you're not connecting with what's really going on. What's bringing that rudeness? Only prayer can expose it. Pray. When we pray, we are taking the war straight to the kingdom of darkness. There are many good ideas. There are many clever things to say. There are many palatable and relevant ways to communicate. But nothing can replace prayer. There's a passage I'm sure we all love because it contains such precious promises from God. I want to read it to you in a different light today. Isaiah 43, 18 to 20. Uh, the Lord begins by recounting all the wonderful things he's done for the people of Israel. And then in verse 18, he says, but forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I'll make a pathway through the wilderness. I'll create rivers in the dry wasteland. So my chosen people can be refreshed. But then look at verse 22. But my dear family of Jacob, you refuse to ask for my help. You have grown tired of me, O oh Israel. You've refused to ask for my help. Look at what was possible. Look at what was the promise of God for the entire nation. That I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to bring you back to life. And the thing that was standing in the way was that the nation would not call for divine help. It's telling that God says they had grown tired of him. I've prayed so long. God doesn't answer prayers. If he answered prayers, why did I pray and then he got worse? Prayer is not making a difference. We've grown tired of God. Saints, do not get tired of petitioning the Lord. Prayer is the power we have. That's what we go to war with. That's what we fight with day after day after day. When nothing else works, that's what we fight with. That we are not getting tired of petitioning the Lord, telling the Lord our generation must be saved. My children must be saved. My cell members must be saved. Pray, pray, pray. Do not get tired of petitioning the Lord. Let us commit today, church, for our sake and for the generations after us to uncompromising truth, unashamed testifying, unquestionable example, and unrelenting prayer. Oh Lord, our generation needs a breakthrough. Lord, your people need a breakthrough. Oh Father, the world is so strong. The forces against us are so strong. Oh, would you help us, Lord, as a church, as a community of believers, as a community of families. Lord, that we are doing our part to set the next generation up for success. We are setting the next generation up for breakthrough. Lord, help us, Father, to be uncompromising in speaking the truth in saying what your word says, not being swayed left and right, not being swayed here and there by winds of every teaching, standing on the truth of God's word. Help us to testify. God, I will not be ashamed to say it is God. 
It is God who has done this for me. It is God who's at work in my life. Father, may our example be above reproach. Lord, every member of this church, young and old, God, let it be our testimony. In fact, as a church, the Lord, the people that come to NLC, they follow Jesus truly, that their lives are upright, that their lives are without question, that they don't do shady deals, that they don't go into crazy corners, that, Lord, we are upholding the gospel wherever we are. Let that be our testimony, Father. And Lord, let us not stop to pray. My God, help us, Father. Help us to seek you some more. Help us to petition you some more. In Jesus' name. I want to speak for a moment, if I may, to those parents, those cell leaders who feel like I've done all that. I've upheld the truth. I've testified. I've been a great example. And yet my children are not following the Lord. My cell members have left Jesus altogether. Let me tell you, the superpower you have is prayer. Do like Samuel told the Israelites in the midst of their rejection of him and God. Say, that's for me. I will not cease in my prayers for you. Keep praying. Our God of generations is mighty and is able to deliver. And I want to declare over you and over our church the promise of Isaiah 43 and 44 that the Lord will gather our children from the east and from the west that he will say to the north and south, bring back our daughters, that he will bring back our sons, back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth, that the Lord will pour out his spirit on our descendants, his blessing on our children, that our children will thrive like watered grass, that like willows on a riverbank, that they will proudly proclaim, I belong to the Lord. That will be our testimony in Jesus' name. Come on, can we give him praise today? He's worthy. Our God of generations is worthy. The Lord bless you, church. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next week.